nine of our love one another series, and it's been uh, it's been a great one. I think it's taught us a lot about ourselves. Uh, when we dive into scripture, it's going to do that, isn't it? It's going to it's going to tell us things about ourselves. It's going to make us choose how we want to respond to what it says, to integrate changes or ignore them to excuse ourselves for various reasons sometimes or you disagree with it or rebel against it, but it's going to cause us to do something because there's very, very few times can you open God's word, read it, and then not have a choice to make. You have to do something with what you read. Why? Because it is God's revelation of who he is and how we are supposed to be in relationship with him. And that causes us to have to do something about it. It points to our character, about who we are. It points to our submission to Christ if we're followers of Jesus, first and foremost, as his Savior and our Lord. And no matter how we shake it, we are learning about who we are in our relationship with God. Now, maybe you're like me. Over the years, you've done a whole bunch of different type of like spiritual uh, gift assessments or personality tests. Anybody here done a personality test? Figure what type of personality you have or something like that. The old school ones were like, I'm a beaver. I'm a, I'm a retriever. I'm a bear or a lion. And I don't know, the ones associating with animals never really struck me well. Or the, uh, the ones where you're assigned a number or a... The ones where you're like all sorts of things, like had like uh, like short form for everything, and I, you were like a bunch of things, and there I found them all confusing because it asked you to adopt language that you never use, and I found them half the time to be divisive because it'd say I'm like this and you're like this, and it and all it did was create more space between us than actually get us to get along, but there's some things that you actually can learn well from them. Some things that help you when you look internally to see who you are, things that you never really, like, really put a pin on or could articulate about why you act the way you act. And so sometimes there's nuggets of truth there for us. And one of the things that I learned from this, from doing all those type of tests and everything like that, that kind of was like, you know, happened through all of them that showed, showed some uh, truth in all of them, was loyalty, the idea of loyalty. Being loyal or faithful to others or others being loyal or faithful to me, whether that's friendships, working relationships or whatever, that is something that resonated with me. When people are disloyal or they betray my trust, it hurts me deeply because I place such a high value on loyalty on being true to the relationship that you hold with somebody. And how this negatively would affect me would be in how I would handle it when people would betray that trust, what they did behind my back, and then how I would respond or what I would hold against them because of what I felt was such an egregious offense. Whether it's schoolyard stuff where a kid that you thought was your friend turns out to be somebody who mocks you and betrays the secret that you may have told them on the schoolyard and what seemed to be a friend that held your confidence turned into somebody that used that against you to mock you and laugh at you or something deeper and larger moments of life where we feel we're betrayed. For myself, I would have a hard time letting go. 
Because the ability to move forward and beyond our circumstances and those hurts, they would, they would lead me to, to doubt others and their commitment, and I would have a hard time with that. Now, unwittingly, I have given that trait to our dog. Yeah, you'd be like, how do you do that? Well, uh, I'd play fetch with our dog. Our dog absolutely loves playing fetch. If you've ever been to her place and seen her dog, if you come on bonfire night, you're not going to see him because he's, uh, he's more of a chicken than a dog, and he just runs away and barks. <laughs> but but we, we do have chickens too. Um, but I throw a ball for him. He loves to play fetch with anything. You throw anything, he wants to go get it and bring it back. But what I would do is I would go to throw, and I would go like make that like a motion to throw, but I wouldn't actually throw it. I'd hold it, and I'd like tuck it behind me, you know, put it in my back pocket or something like that. And he'd go tearing off, looking for it, looking everywhere, looking everywhere. And then I'd be like, you know, woohoo, the ball's still here, call him back. I've done that so many times now that when I throw it, he immediately starts looking, and then he stops and turns around and looks back at me. Did you really throw it? And if we're doing that in the house, we have like an indoor ball that we can throw down our hallway. Uh, he, uh, he'll, like, he'll like go to start looking for it. And if I make any movement whatsoever, I'm sitting in a chair and if I move and the chair squeaks at all, he's constantly just going like this the whole time. Where's the ball? You know, looking back at me going like, did you actually throw it? Do you have it right there? Am I even going to leave the room? Because there's no point in me leaving the room because you actually still have the ball. I don't know why I did that to him. Because <laughs> now he looks like a neurotic dog who actually won't go after the actual ball that's been thrown for him. But I think it's often something that we do with others. That when the shoe drops, that when we look back and we see that people have hurt us, there's unforgiveness, there's pain, there's, there's, there's hurt there that keeps us from being able to move forward because we're constantly looking back. My dog is blinded from being able to find the ball, not because it's hidden from him, but because of his distrust that I actually threw it. And we can be blocked the same way. where We're not able to move forward because of the distrust that unforgiveness and past hurts hold against us. And I think when we look to Scripture, we can see a clear ex- explanation for why we find it hard to move on sometimes when we still harbor and hold unforgiveness. Right at the end of the Lord's Prayer, there's a clause that has very deep and heavy consequences for us. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's harsh, isn't it? That sits heavy on us, especially if we think of relationships where we're finding it hard to offer forgiveness. But there is a connection, an undeniable connection between how we choose to forgive and then the freedom that we walk through in Christ. There's a connection between bearing with one another like we talked about last week and what we will see in the passage that we're going to study this week. And as I read it in my heart, it was drawn to spend a good portion of the time on the forgiveness portion of it. Because I believe that this morning, God's plan revolves around us finding freedom through 
forgiveness. Something that maybe today you're having trouble giving or receiving. Now we're still in Ephesians with our scripture this week. And if you remember the first half of the book, uh, Paul is speaking about the work that God has done for us. And in the second half of the book, it's the response that we have in walking out our faith in him because of what he's done. Today's scripture is found in Ephesians 4, verses 32 to 5-2, where it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, to God. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for the kindness and the compassion that you showed to us. The forgiveness of sin that you offered us. Jesus, there's no way that we can fully understand your love for us and giving yourself up for us as that fragrant offering and a sacrifice for our sin. But God, today, may you enlighten us a little more. May your spirit speak to ours. May you show us how we are to walk in your ways as your children. We pray this in your name. Amen. Again, while it's true, the one another in there is about being kind and being compassionate. The reality is, is that those are clear and definite markers of what it looks like for us to actually forgive. The kindness being referred to is actually the same kindness in the Bible that it uses to refer to God being a good God. And so when it says God is good and he, he is gentle with us and kind with us and he's slow to anger and quick to forgive, that's the same goodness that it's asking us to hold. Now, being kind is the simplicity of just the idea of being nice, where, where how we treat each other is pleasant in tone and in nature and that we're not looking to agitate or get under the skin of others. But it also has that much deeper call of being open and ready to allow the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in us. So much so that Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, would speak about a kindness rather than judgment as a method for repentance. He says in Romans 2 verse 4, he says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Often we think the opposite, don't we? We think threat of judgment, threat of hell, threat of of what's going to happen is what has to lead you to repentance. If you don't repent, this is what's going to happen. And yet God's first act is kindness to lead us to repentance. It's only in our rebellion that we then find that there's consequences for our actions that may cause us to come to repentance. But it is first his love and his kindness that reaches out to us to draw us to repentance. When we have kindness and we have compassion for others, it aligns us with God's heart that is first kindness that we offer. 
This is the same compassion in the Bible that, that speaks about Jesus that he would have for the lost, the broken, and the hurting when they would come to him. He would have compassion on them. His heart would be soft towards them when they came. And that's one of the challenges of unforgiveness, isn't it? Our hearts are often not soft, are they? They're hard. They've been hurt. They've been broken before. And what we do is we put up a a barrier. We put up a wall, a fortress for our hearts to protect them. And there's no softness at all towards others. And we think this is the safest way to move forward. But it leaves us with hard hearts. There's so many things that we'd often rather see happen to people that we we are not forgiving than forgiveness and repentance. Our hearts want justice, maybe even retribution for what's happened to us. Yet leaving vengeance for God, it becomes so hard when we're held by unforgiveness. And this is why Jesus has set the example for us, that we forgive as he forgave. And this is the tension that we live in that seems easily forgotten by people in the church. The late Tim Keller once said it this way. He said, religion by itself makes you as bad as everyone else. In fact, it makes you worse. It makes you a Pharisee. But the doctrine of grace of God that you're saved by sheer grace humbles you and yet affirms you at the same time. You are so bad, Jesus had to die for you. Yet you're so loved that he was willing to die for you. When we live without forgiveness though, when we don't let the forgiveness of God so transform us that forgiveness flows from us, we're actually ended up living though in the religion camp than the relationship camp. Because our unforgiveness does not allow God's forgiveness to truly transform us. And we act more like Pharisees than we do the children of God who are asked to imitate what our Father does for us. So when we grab hold of the forgiveness of God, we're completely humbled. because we're so unable to be good by ourselves. But we know that we are so loved by God, so forgiven that it gives us a peace and an assurance of our standing with him. And again, this is what he calls us to do with others. In light of what Christ has done for us, we are to offer peace and assurance the standing of others have with us. This can be hard. Corey Tenboom, author of The Hiding Place, when she was taken captive and sent to spent time in, in uh, Nazi concentration camps during World War II. And while in prison, she would see incredible abuse, such inhumane tr- treatment that it drove the prisoners to do extreme things, including intentionally allowing lice to breed and grow on their bodies because it would cause the guards to want to keep their distance from them. 
she witnessed this, experienced this, even to the point of seeing her sister die in camp. And after the war, God would send uh, Corey on a mission of mercy through the war and torn cities to encourage residents to choose forgiveness over bitterness and resentment. And she would motivate her audiences by telling them of the, the stories and the atrocities that happened, that experienced, implying that as she's walking out forgiveness from those things, so they too can have the power to forgive. One night when she was speaking, she immediately recognized a man who came in and walked down the aisle. He was a particularly cruel guard in the camp that she was in. The man, though, did not recognize her. And as he approached Corey, he said to her, he said, Fraulein, you don't know me, but I was a guard in one of those camps. And after the war, God saved me. And I wish I could go back and undo all those years, but I can't. But I've just been prompted by God to come tonight and ask you, would you please forgive me? He extends his hand to her. And as you can imagine, if you're oppressor, if you're abuser, if the person who didn't seize you, see you as human but saw you as something to be destroyed and gotten rid of reaches their hand out and asks for forgiveness, how that might leave you and how that might leave Corey. And in that moment, she was, she was so stunned that her hands wouldn't rise from her side and she had no idea what to do. The flashbacks of what happened were there. And in that moment, she felt God saying to her, Corey, what have you been telling everybody else to do? As an act of your will, will you choose to forgive? That's so key, isn't it? Forgiveness isn't just a feeling. It's an act of our will. Corey went on to explain what happened next. She reached out her hand, she put it in his, and said, I forgive you. You are forgiven. She would later report that at that moment, it was like a dam broke loose inside of her. All the bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, God set her free. Amen. By no means would I want you to feel like I'm diminishing the effects of being a victim of pain, abuse, of horrible circumstances. That you're supposed to just get over the feelings and what happened. By no means would I want you to feel like I'm saying that. It's quite the opposite, actually. I lovingly want you to know that there is hope in Jesus. There is freedom and healing and a path forward in him. His mercies are new each morning for our steps towards wholeness. Our healing journey, though, must include forgiveness, if only for our own sake. Neither do we look at forgiveness and the idea of forgiveness and think that we do it to earn God's forgiveness. That somehow we must show him, look, see, I'll forgive so that I can earn your forgiveness. It's actually the opposite. God says, I've forgiven you so that you can forgive. Because when you were once an enemy towards God, he looked at you, loved you, saw you, and forgave you, offered his son as a sacrifice for you. It flows from a heart 
that has been satisfied by the mercy of God, rejoicing in the cancellation of our un, own unpayable debt. So how do we forgive? While it may seem impossible with men, it is not impossible with God. So here's what forgiveness is not, just in case you, you get the wrong idea of what forgiveness is and isn't. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We may see that in the Bible that God can forget it, but unfortunately, we do not have that superpower. We remember the things that happened to us. Forgiveness is not actually forgetting. It may not be holding on to it and keeping it in front of you, but you can't forget what's happened. Forgiveness is also not the absence of feeling pain. When you have to forgive someone, it doesn't mean that there's not pain in your heart over what has happened and that you don't have to walk through that pain. So don't feel like forgiveness means you have to feel no pain. Forgiveness is also not ceasing uh, for to, or sorry, forgiveness is not ceasing to uh, long for justice. Just because you need to forgive does not mean that justice doesn't still need to be found. You don't need to give up your right to justice. It just means you need to be open-handed about God serving that justice. Forgiveness is also not making it easy for the offender to reoffend and to hurt you again. By no means does forgiveness mean you have to lay yourself open and vulnerable to be hurt again by the same person again and again. Forgiveness is also rarely a one-time event that solves everything when you do it that one time. The truth of forgiveness is that Jesus forgave by absorbing in himself the destructive and painful consequences of our sin against him and the sin even of our offenders. God forgave us in Christ by canceling the debts that we owe him. And forgiving others as God has forgiven us means that we resolve to revoke revenge and give up our rights to revenge. Forgiving others as God has forgiven us means a determination to do good rather than evil. God forgave us in Christ by reconciling us to himself, by restoring the relationship our sin had severed. And maybe in our weakness, we fail to understand the depth of forgiveness both offered to us and expected from us. And when we do, we offer a different type of circumstance, or of a different type of forgiveness, don't we? We offer conditional forgiveness, don't we? I'll forgive you if all these conditions are met. I'll forgive you if this is how it looks like moving forward. Or maybe we offer partial forgiveness. I can forgive you for part of it, but that there, no way. That's unforgivable. I'll always hold that against you. There's nothing you could do to make that right with me. Or maybe we offer delayed forgiveness. Maybe someday I'll be able to forgive you, but right now, don't even come near me. We forget, when we forgive though, the first work that it does is in us because it, it paves a path of reconciliation. Because long before you knew God, he loved you, he died for you, he offered you salvation through faith in him. And from there, that's when 
the work of forgiveness can work outwards. Where the opportunity of repentance and reconciliation and restoration may happen. And here's the thing, though. We can't control that side of things. We can't control the outer work of forgiveness, other people's willingness to walk that out with us. But we can be free from unforgiveness in our own hearts. On a practical level today, as we seek out to live lives of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness, what does love require of us today? Love requires that we love because we are loved. And love is an action, not a is an action, not feelings, isn't it? Love requires that we do not hold unforgiveness, but lay it all down at the cross. Love requires that we leave vengeance to God, who exacts it perfectly. And love requires our forgiveness to be final, which means that when we forgive, I will not bring the matter up with you again. It means that I will not bring the matter up with anybody else. And it means that I will not bring the matter up even with myself. It is final. Because we are never closer to the grace of God than when we confess our sins to him. We are never more like Jesus than when we forgive those who have sinned against us. We never so touch the heart of God as when we forgive our enemies. We will never fully enter into our freedom in Christ until we learn the freedom that comes through forgiveness. Now today, if you are struggling to forgive, be reminded of and embrace the forgiveness of God. If you've made promises today that you would never forgive, that you would always hold on to hurt, you'd always hold on to what they've done to you or what's happened, can I tell you in honesty that today if you do that, you are not aligning with the heart of God. Rather, you are aligning with the enemy. Choosing unforgiveness is not the way of Jesus. And as we pray to close, we'll, we'll have a prayer that speaks specifically to this. And I encourage you to take time to, free, to become free of the prison of unforgiveness. And if today you're here and you have not began a journey with God, you've not received His forgiveness, repenting and believing that Jesus for, for salvation, to be your Lord, today is the day of salvation. Respond to his call to receive forgiveness from him, to be in his family. As a church step, our first step is this, is to spend a moment here before God, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring to mind if there's anyone you need to forgive. Take a moment now and extend forgiveness as an act of obedience and healing to them. Let's just do that right now. Allow God just to speak to us. Father, is there anyone in our lives that 
that we need to forgive. On the other hand, we can ask, Father, is there anyone I need to go and ask forgiveness from? Is there anyone I need to go and repent to because of the actions I've held towards them? that I'd love for us to pray through at the end here to help us move forward. And they'll be up on the screen for us to be able to read together and and work through together. The first deals with specific people and things that maybe you're holding on to that you need forgiveness for. And the second will be a prayer of freedom from unforgiveness. And it'll speak to the deeper issues of unforgiveness. And either way, feel like you're bound by unforgiveness or you're working through it, I encourage you to pray these prayers with me. In the first one, there'll be a pause and a blank there where you can just, in your heart and in your spirit, fill in the blank of who or what you are, you are asking or releasing uh, in that moment. So just be prepared, be prepared for it. You'll see it there. But let's pray together. And you can see the screens to follow along. Jesus, Help me. I don't have the feelings of forgiveness, but I trust you. When I think about those who have sinned against me, I am tempted to take matters into my own hands, holding on to the pain, the bitterness, and the resentment that would poison my soul and make it impossible for me to receive grace from you. So right now, I release to you Just take a moment now to release that to God. People, things that have happened, release them to God. Let's continue. I ask you to heal the pain, to set me free, and to make me whole. I may never experience reconciliation, but I choose to begin the journey towards forgiveness today. For the second prayer, this is a prayer of like renouncing, where we're, we may have aligned ourselves with the spirit of unforgiveness, where we've said in our hearts and made a promise to ourselves, I will never forgive them for what they've done to me. And whether you've done this in your heart out loud or whether you know that's something that deep inside of you that you may be, you may be holding on to, I encourage you just to pray this with me this morning as a prayer of renouncing our any ties to this that we may have and setting ourselves free in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive me for giving place in my heart to resentment, unforgiveness, vengeance. Forgive me for giving a place in my life to resignation and self-reproach and shame, to fear and doubt control. I renounce unforgiveness, resentment, vengeance, fear, and doubt. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ, come, Jesus Christ, and take your rightful place in my heart and in my life here. Come, 
and set me free. I plead your blood over these sins and I break every hold I gave the enemy here. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God, we don't want to be held by unforgiveness. We understand that pain is hard. The things that happen to us, the choice of others, they affect us in real time and they, they hurt. It leaves us wounded and often scarred, God, but we know we can't stay in unforgiveness. And often, God, we don't feel like forgiving, but we make the active choice of our will to forgive. your mercies are new every morning because you looked at us in our rebellion and you said I forgive you God lead us to have soft hearts that can forgive others God we ask in your name Jesus that we be free from any bondage to unforgiveness that we would renounce any ties that would hold us back keep us from forgiving others. God, may we experience freedom in Christ today through the power of forgiveness, both our own and us forgiving others. We lay it all at your feet today, Jesus. For you are good, you are kind, you are compassionate. And as your children, we will look to follow in your footsteps. We pray this in your name, Jesus.